0: graduation service, as your bulletin indicates, is May 25th, so the next three weeks are going to be very exciting here at the Church of Indian Lake. Next week, and this is a hint for all you men out there, next week is Mother's Day, uh, and my wife Beth is planning next week's service, so you know it's going to be fun, because Beth only does fun stuff, you know, she's just a party waiting to happen all the time. Uh, So, She's been sending me some emails of like some donations, some things that are going to be available, and check your email this week. Uh, you will want to be here. You will want to bring uh, your wife, your mother, anyone who's female, anyone who's male, grandmothers. Can the list go? Just bring everybody. Let's just have a good Sunday. And traditionally, Mother's Day is one of our, our bigger Sundays of the year, so I think it'll be great. And Beth's going to be sharing with you uh, the message, We uh, and I think that it'll be a really great time together. On May 18th, Dr. Charles Golden will be coming back here to minister the word and to uh, reunite with us, and then we will continue on May 25th with that graduation service that we want to honor all of our high school graduates, but also those who have graduated from college, our trade school, our graduate school. We want to honor you, and for the high school students, we want to get three pictures of you, as David indicated on the video. One from childhood, elementary, junior high, and then one current picture that will help make that a more meaningful experience. So much is going on. Read the bulletin. Sign up for stuff. One of the things we really do need more participation in is our care ministry. That's providing meals for those who are homebound or sick, especially after a surgery or a birthing. Uh, and we only have like five or six names down so far. Beth Barnett is leading that ministry, and a lot of you have told Beth, oh, just call me. Well, she doesn't know to call you unless you sign up. So take time to go by the communication center, sign up for that, because we certainly want to have uh, geographically strategic people located. So uh, when a need arises in your neighborhood or your city or your hamlet, I just want to see if that—that's a word I never get to use, but or in your area that uh, you can provide a meal to. That I was just really proud of the word Hamlet. I don't know why. I just felt like I needed to to use that. And has anyone heard the name the word Hamlet used lately? Anybody? All right, good. Well, turn to your Bible. Let's get back to serious things. Um, uh, I want you to turn to First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. I love the word of God. And it brings understanding to the simple. As we journey through this, as we discover that we are chosen people. Chosen by God. And that is an honor, that's a privilege, that's a work of His grace, the fact that we're chosen. We're not chosen on our merit. We're chosen out of His sovereign will, out of His grace. We don't deserve to be adopted by Him, but yet He chose us and He has called us into His family and that changes our behavior. When we're part of God's family, that gives us responsibilities. But the humility that we receive when we realize that we're chosen by Him, that humility produces in us holiness and righteousness and all the things that please Him. And I think that if more people realize who they were in Christ, then some of the behavioral issues we had would not be an issue. We wouldn't always be trying to figure out, how we can get away with so much sin. Instead, of we would try to figure out how can we get so close to this Father who has adopted us, chosen us, cleansed us, and have treated us unlike we deserve. It's a whole different perspective. And, and I thank God that I'm part of that chosen people. I want to start today in verse 8. And we're going we're gonna to focus in on verse 8 through verse 12. He says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Twelve, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. The title of my message today is Blind Joy. And when we, when we serve Christ, not everybody understands it. Not everybody gets it. Uh, I grew up in a church that was expressive in worship, very similar to this church. Uh, but when I was in eighth grade, uh, the worship revolution hadn't, had not happened. So things like, you know, lifting your hands and having a drum set and singing new songs, they were not cool, they were weird. That was for... Those kind of churches, uh, you know, Time Life had not had like the greatest worship CD, you know, for nine ninety nine. We'll send you three more. None of that had happened. I mean, it was scandalous to put down the hymnals and look on the projector screen, or the transparency screen, for that matter. And on this one particular Sunday, a great fear of mine happened. Two of my, uh, two of the guys on my eighth grade football team showed up to my church. And dread came over me. Fear came over me. And sure enough, the service went. We had a nice service. I said hello to them. And so the next morning comes. It's Monday morning. And I'm wondering what's going to happen. I'm wondering, if, are they going to think my church is weird or I'm weird or the whole deal about lifting your hands and all that? And and I thought I had dodged a bullet because I said hi. And I'm like, hey, man, we, 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 saw, we saw you at church, and we're, we're having a casual conversation. What I didn't realize is they were waiting for the crowd to accumulate, and so some of the other students came around, and I, I thought I dodged a bullet, and then all of a sudden they looked up and they said, Hey Allison! And in unison, they lifted both hands and went like this. And I was devastated. I mean, maybe I wasn't spiritually strong. And then they started laughing and said, "Now well, your church didn't lift their hands, what's the deal with that? And and um I just, in my eighth grade mind, that was so devastating. That was such a persecution there. Uh, a lot different than what the believers felt here in the book of 1 Peter, because this book was written, and I didn't have time to get into all this last week because I had five points when I talked about suffering, but uh, this, this letter was written to um, a mostly Gentile church in Asia Minor. And these guys, they didn't go under uh, imprisonment and they were not executed. That came a little bit later, like some of us think. But they did encounter a situation where they were undergoing persecution and they were undergoing kind of a social ostracism here that people did not understand why they acted the way they did. Because in that time and in this particular region, people would worship the emperor, or they would worship the city-state, or they would worship a family idol. And when the people that received this letter from Peter, they were worshiping the only true God. They were worshiping one God, and they had abandoned their ancestral uh, worship and idols and and the different things that were socially acceptable. And it wasn't so much that the people that day wanted them uh, to believe in those gods, they just wanted them to give token worship to these gods. It was their civic duty. It was their uh, duty to their family. It, it was much like, for us, uh, pledging allegiance to the flag. They were supposed to give this kind of worship to the emperor and to the family gods. And when they decided not to do that, they were considered unpatriotic. They were considered anti-family. They were considered antisocial. And so we, we encounter a situation here where these people that received this letter from Peter, they were going undergoing maybe some things that, that are a little more similar to us, and that is they felt a little like social outcasts because they weren't like everybody else, and to really serve God, they couldn't compromise areas of their life. So here's a question. Why would they, and why would we endure that kind of uh, social ridicule you know for them that meant maybe loss of property it meant economic persecution it meant that they were marginalized in society why would they and why would we undergo that type of scrutiny and that type of isolation there has to be a payoff there has to be a reason why and that's why Peter he picks up here in verse eight. And he's really complimenting them because if you remember from the Gospels, Peter was with Jesus. And he was with Jesus uh, really his whole ministry. And Peter actually went to the Mount of Transfiguration and he saw things revealed from God about Jesus before anybody else did. He heard the voice speaking to Jesus saying, This is my son. Uh, He heard that on the mountaintop with James and John. And he had special insight. And he says here in verse 8, look there, because most of the people we can safely assume, had never physically seen Jesus, had never audibly heard his voice, had never interacted with him. And he said this in verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. He was trying to lift their spirits. He was trying to say, hey, I know that you're undergoing suffering. We talked about that last week. I know you're undergoing persecution. I know you're undergoing isolation and that your lifestyle has changed because you made the stand for Christ. But Peter's saying, I want to make this point. I've seen him. And I love him. But look at Abe again. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And can I suggest why? one of the reasons why the world doesn't understand us? And in this quest to make Christianity understandable, you know, that always gets us in trouble. If, if you're always trying to make Jesus understandable uh, and acceptable and and make sure that every person gets it, they just won't get it. An unbeliever, they don't get why we do the things we do, while we're committed to church, while we give our money, while we give our efforts, while we give our time with no monetary payoff. They're not going to get it. But for those of us who know Christ, this is the reason we do it. Because though we've not seen Him, we love Him. And right down the first point, we have a relationship with someone we cannot see. We have a relationship with someone we cannot see. You know, in verse 8 there it says this, when it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. It's talking about, that's the present tense, the, the, the active love for him. It doesn't mean that you love a concept, that you love a religion, or you love um, a certain set of rules. No, he's talking about there in context, you actively love somebody that you don't see. That's the relationship Jesus wants us to have. That's why it's so important that you get Jesus and not religion. Because religion brings death, but Jesus brings life. That's the payoff. That's the reason. That's the reason that we can endure a certain amount of, of, of social outcast and, and a certain amount of lack of understanding is because we have an active relationship with someone that we can't even see. Now, now this concept, uh, might have been hard for some people to understand, but here in the 21st century, we should understand this concept of loving someone you can't see. If not, let's think about eHarmony and dating.com. I don't know if that is a website, but if not, someone needs to buy that URL and make some money. Uh, This whole concept of of falling in love before before you see someone, we we understand that in, in a little ways because all the time you're hearing about people falling in love over the internet, and, and that certainly has its dangers, but it also has some opportunities because I, I know some couples that that has been a successful route for them. Uh, but hard, God, I mean, you can understand being able to communicate at least that's a. A, a, some kind of cyber communication, or at least there's words going back and forth. But, but with Jesus, it feels a lot different. You know, we, we have the Scripture, we have the Word. But without faith, without His grace, without His Spirit breathing on us, it's static. And it's just words, and it's just a story. But when the Spirit of God, through His grace, comes upon us, it becomes a relationship. Becomes something real. It becomes something very up close. You know, I want to share a story with you and, and uh, talking about pen pals and things like that. This, this was, excuse me, this was uh, told to be the greatest love story ever. You know, besides the spiritual thing, we know Christ, that's the greatest love story, but I'm talking about in secular, secular uh, realms. Uh, there was, uh, back in World War II, when soldiers didn't have someone to correspond with, uh, evidently ladies would volunteer to write to soldiers, and they'd write back and forth to one another. And there was one particular man during the war that began to uh, have this pen pal relationship, this distant relationship with this woman, And, and it went back and forth, and as time went on, going through all the difficult circumstances and the challenges, they fell in love through the paper and pen. They fell in love through the letter. Just this kind of whole concept of distantly falling in love. So when the war ended, they were supposed to meet at Grand Central Station in New York City. And the woman said this. She wrote the man, she said, I'm going to meet you there at 2 o'clock. I'm going to be in a brown dress holding a red rose. So this young man could not wait. To meet this woman that he was in love with, who he had shared letters with over the months, and could not wait to meet her. And so he's waiting and he's looking. He's in his uniform, and he's looking everywhere. And sure enough, he spots her. She, she was sitting there in a brown dress, holding a red rose. But to his disappointment, she wasn't the young, beautiful woman he expected. She was in middle age, and she was didn't really keep herself up. And for a young guy in his young 20s, it just wasn't what he was looking for, and so his first inclination was, like any uh, young man, get out of here. Remember, anyone had one of those blind dates before where you're like, get me out of here? No one's going to confess that. Uh, So, there he is, battling this in his mind. He says, I'm going to go ahead and talk to her anyway. So he goes up and he talks to her, and he said, hey, I just want to let you know you know, my name is such and such, and so, I'm so glad to meet you. And the woman looked up at him, and he said, Mister, I don't know what this is all about, but some lady paid me $5 to sit here with a rose, and she's sitting right over there, and he turned around to see this gorgeous young woman who was his true pin pal. Is that not a cool story? Now, I've been waiting to be invited to Valentine's Banquet to share that story for like five years, and it's never happened. But that's such a great story. I just had to tell it. Now I could like stretch out an analogy here and say Jesus is the Lady of the Rose and this and that. But I just want to tell you a good story this morning. But the truth is this: is that as as we bring it back home, is that we do kind of have that concept through of of having a relationship with someone we can't see. But let's just take this to a much larger scale the person that you and I are supposed to have a relationship died 2,000 years ago. So it's not even someone we can write to or interact with. You know, Not only have we not seen him and not heard him, but we can't even write him a letter or send him an email in the natural mind. You see where I'm going here? But yet, we're filled with this love. That's what salvation is. That's what grace is. That is what God moving in your life is, is that He can begin to place something in you, an active love, an active relationship with, with the Lord. That's why I love what Philippians 1.10, what Paul said. He said, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power, mighty power that raised Him from the dead. That is Philippians 3.10. I'm sorry, I don't know why I had one 10 up there. Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. Paul wrote, I want to intimately know Christ. I don't want to just get into heaven. I don't want to just uh, experience something religious so I can say I'm a Christian like everybody else in my family. I want to know Christ. I want to intimately know Him. And when these people were going under the persecution... They were going under the persecution, and and they were losing everything socially. They were outcasts from their families. They were losing economic opportunities. Why? What's the payoff? Because even though they have not seen Him, they love Him. They know Him. And I want to just encourage you, if you've never given your life to Christ, you are to join not a church not a religion, you're going to join a relationship, a friendship, a lifelong journey to know Him. And for those of you who have already started that journey, which I assume is most people in this room, never lose sight of that. Don't move over into the death of religion. But stay centered on knowing and loving Christ and believing in Him. The second thing is, we 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 not only love someone we've not seen, we trust in someone we've not seen. Again, we'll in verse 8, it says, though you've not seen Him, you love Him, and even though you don't see Him now, you believe in Him. That's really remarkable. That someone that we can't see, we still believe in Him. The power of the faith that, that we have. Our faith is, is truly remarkable. Our faith is truly something that... Uh, Defies logic and defies reason because we are trusting someone and believing in someone that we've never ever seen you know one of the the games you'll see a lot of I heard the kids did this the other day in journeys is the trust game and that's where you you stand on the edge of something like this and you and you fall backwards and someone's supposed to catch you and about about halfway down you, you start getting worried you know is this person going to catch me or not i mean I mean you saw you know they're behind you but There's that instinct within us all to brace ourselves because we're putting all this trust in someone that, even though we've seen them, we don't know if they're going to come through. You know why your faith is remarkable? Because you are doing that without anybody you've even seen behind you. You're, You're falling back into the arms of God and saying, God, I believe. And you might say, well, how can I do that? How do I even have the ability to do that? That's a great part of it. You don't. It's His grace. That comes upon you, that even gives you the ability to choose Christ. It's His work within your heart and within your life that allows you to say, Yes, I will fall back. I'll fall back into the arms of someone I've never seen. I've never heard their voice. I've never seen them with my physical senses. And I am going to do that. That's a remarkable faith. It's supernatural, and it's all from Him. And that's why we should be humbled our walk with the Lord. Because we don't even have the ability to choose Christ. His, his grace allows us to choose Him. I love what Paul wrote again in Second Timothy one twelve. See if I put it in your screen right. And I think I did. This, that is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. Can I, can I just let, let you know, we don't know if Paul ever saw Jesus personally. We know he saw Him on the road to Damascus but he says i know whom i have believed and i am convinced that he is able to guard what i have entrusted to him for that day what what a incredible statement and a statement that we live you know everyone else might think we're crazy everyone else might think we're We're stupid. Everyone else might think that we're uneducated because we blindly follow this religion. But when we can say, I know whom I have trusted. I know who he is. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. That's what faith is. It's loving someone actively that you've not seen and trusting someone you've not seen. Saying, God, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my finances. I trust you with my job. I trust you with my future. I trust you with my sickness. I trust you with every aspect of my life. Because I know you. And Peter, read verse 8 with me again. Go back to verse 8. The man who had had all these experiences with Christ to encourage the believers, he said, though you've not seen Him, you love Him. You actively love Him. And though you don't do not see Him now. You believe in Him. You trust in Him. Now here's the payoff. Here's why we do what we do. This is why we have the smile on our face. This is why we, we know God is real. You are feel, filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Look at the end of verse eight again. you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You want to know why the world doesn't understand Christians and believers? Because we can't explain it. We can't describe it. When God's truly worked in your heart and when you have had a transfer when you've had a touch of God, human words can't put it into description. Human words can't adequately tell you what it, what it means. That, that phrase that says indescribable literally means higher than speech. The, the joy I have in God is higher than speech. It's not indescribable because our lack of vocabulary, our lack of education, or many times we have experiences where we just can't come up with the words and later on we do. No. This inexpressible joy is not a lack of vocabulary or lack of education. It's higher than speech. Words can't describe the working of God within us. Words can't adequately explain what God has done within us. And because of that, there is something... That happens within us when the heart is transformed and when the life is transformed. There is something that God does within us that is supernatural and bigger than reason. And it's bigger than just a, a, a knowledge or a head knowledge or a decision to join a religion or to do something. It's a transformation of the heart. It's a relationship with the Lord. It's, it's something that's real and tangible and something that we can experience. And that's good. That's a good thing. Philippians 4.4 4 says it this way. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. As believers, it's the Lord's will that we have within us a joy that nothing can touch. Our moods, our circumstances, the economy, our job performance evaluations... Nothing can touch the joy that's within us because we've been chosen by God and we're humbled by that and we know it's not anything we've done, it's the working of His grace upon us. And wow, wow! Though we've not seen Him, we love Him. And though we don't see Him now, we believe in Him and we have faith. And though others might not understand, it's the most natural thing that happens to a heart that's been transformed. That's what a conversion is. It's a change of the mind. And it's a change of the heart. And all of a sudden, things that didn't make sense to you before, they change because you're a new man or woman in Christ. The old things have gone. The new has come. It's a Change from within. It's something that only God can do. It's something that's supernatural. That's why you can't earn your way into heaven. You can't work your way into heaven. You can't get enough good credits with God to get to heaven. Because the only way you can get to heaven is through a life transformed. And when you are a follower of Christ, for those of you who are followers of Christ, say, well, why do we have to go over that over and over again? Because when you forget that and you begin to put pride in your spirituality then you get off course and you're walking in death, not in life. See, that's why we're to be a humble people. Because we always understand who we would be without God and what would happen without Him. I want you to pick up with me in verse 10. He goes on and and he begins to describe the salvation. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently... And with the greatest care, 11, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Verse 12, "...that it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things." Now. The people that received this, they uh, again were undergoing some, some suffering. They were going, undergoing some persecution, and there's two things that they really respected. And that was prophets and angels. They put a lot of stock into prophets and a lot of stock into angels because that was something they were familiar. Now, in the old world, in the old world, something that was established and something that had been around. Had much more value than something new and trendy. We're kind of the opposite. We like new and trendy and that type of deal. In the old world mindset, those things that had been around longer, that had been established, that had um, stood the test of time, held greater value to that mindset than our mindset today. So, so Peter is saying, listen, you believe in someone you haven't seen. You trust in someone you've never seen, and you're filled with this intrinsic joy that you can't describe. But now, let me tell you why this faith is real, besides those things. Because those are all internal things, right? Those are all things that you feel. They're, they're inside. And so Peter steps outside, and, and he wants to connect the salvation with something that is old, traditional, and valuable. To the reader of this letter, that meant something. Like, to us, it doesn't mean as much. Maybe it should. That's a whole other sermon. But to them, old, valuable, traditional meant something. Why? Because these people had left their ancestral traditions. They had left their family tradition. They had abandoned the way of life that they had been, that, that, that they had been taught and indoctrinated with and had have, have followed this whole sect, had given up everything. And they needed something steeped in tradition They longed for this assurance that this this faith that they were about had some roots, had something to be traced with. So we know that God spoke through his prophets in the Old Testament. And God spoke to his prophets and and, uh, was clear to them. In Hosea 12.10, write it down if you're taking notes. Hosea 12.10, God says, I spoke to the prophets and gave them many visions and told parables through them. Amos 3.7. If you're taking notes, write down Amos 3.7. We don't have time to look at it today. Surely the Sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing His plan to His servants, the prophets. So the prophets would, would have revelation of what was to come. And we don't know exactly what prophecies Peter uh, was talking about here, but the, the Old Testament is full of prophecies concerning Christ. Uh, and we don't know exactly what he had in mind, but take your pick. All through the Old Testament, all through the prophets, everything was foretelling Christ, and, and many of the passages uh, deal with that. James 5 and 10 reminds us of this, and this is why we, they, we should hold the prophets highly. It says, And I'm getting somewhere with this, so stay with me. Brothers, as an example of patience, this is James chapter 5, verse 10. As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So remember those guys. And, and when you think about Jeremiah, you know, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. If you read that, read that, if you read Jeremiah again, Jeremiah chapter 1 says, you know, I've chosen you as a prophet before the nations. And then uh, Jeremiah said, yeah, I'm a prophet. I'm going to go speak the word of the Lord. And guess what happened? He got beat up. Like physically beat up. And so then he wanted to quit. And that's when he said, I, I want to keep my mouth shut but I can't because your word's like a fire shut up in my bones. So that wasn't like the kind of fire we like to say, like, I can't, i got to preach, i got a fire shut up in my bones. No, it wasn't that. It was more like I just got beat up and I don't want to preach, but I've got this thing burning within me and so I have to anyway. You think about Ezekiel who laid on his side for years and years. You think about, uh, I believe, uh, who was the guy who married the prostitute? Help me, somebody. Huh? Hosea? Okay, good. I knew that. I just wanted to test you. No, Isn't that cool? Yeah. Right. Um, this guy had to go marry a, a, a prostitute. And, and the prophets went through so much. The prophets went through a whole lot. We, we know John the Baptist, the most contemporary prophet in this time, was beheaded. And he even doubted his faith at the end. The, the prophets went through so much. And Hebrews 11:39 through 40 said these were all commended for their faith. Look at Hebrews 11. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together, talking about the prophets with us, would they be made perfect. So there's a connection between what the prophets foretold and our faith today. Now here's what I'm trying to get at for those who were undergoing suffering, for those who were undergoing something difficult that were making sacrifices for God. This is what God said. He said this, concerning the salvation, verse 10 of of 1 Peter 1, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the times and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Verse 12, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And so, do you think about this? All of the prophets that we hold in high regard, and we respect Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, and Isaiah, and and Elijah, and Elisha, and John the Baptist, and these great men of God who heard from God and foretold Christ. Do you know that all the suffering they went through, and all the difficult circumstances, and all the trials... They were serving you, and they were serving me. They were looking intently into this salvation that was going to be revealed to you and was going to be revealed to me. And this is why, and I want you to write down this third point here, or fourth point, excuse me. We have access to privileged information. We know Him. We know the Messiah. We know the way. The things that the prophets strived for. The things that the prophets sought after. The things that the prophets endured. And the things they did was for you. To serve you. So Christ would be revealed to you. And we think now about, about the angels. And there again, in verse twelve, it says at the end of verse twelve, it says, "Even angels long to look into these things." That word "long" means a strong desire. The angels have this strong desire to look into our lives and to to know the plan of salvation. The angels who are just there to serve God and they're just ministering spirits. They they just obey the Lord and they do what He says. They have this intense desire. To know the plan of salvation and to get it and to see it unfolded in our lives, and it goes on at the end of verse twelve. They long to look into these things, and, and that word "look into" there is a Greek word that I will not try, to, or a Hebrew word I will not try to pronounce. In fact, I don't even know if it's Hebrew or Greek, honestly. But uh, I can spell it for you if you want to check my notes later. But listen to this. I think this is so cool. At the end of verse twelve it says they long to look into these things what that literally means is to peek into to to um, to peek into a situation as an outsider and you kind of get that word picture of of someone trying to crack the door open and look to see what 's going on the the angels have this strong desire within them this longing to Kind of peek in on us and to see what's going on in our lives and to see how the plan of salvation is unfolding in us and to see what God is doing within us and how that's coming to pass. Now, what does all this mean to you? Well, what does all this mean? Can I tell you that you've never recognized greatness when you're in the middle of greatness? You have to have a lot of wisdom to see that. And we could all look back in our lives and say that was a special time, that was a special situation, that was a special circumstances. That was a special person, that was a special teacher, a special grandparent. And time and perspective allows us to understand that. When we're in the middle of greatness, it's hard to recognize. Can I tell you that these are great days? That we're in the middle of greatness? This is a great day of opportunity. This is a great... Day that the Spirit of God is being poured out in measures that people only dreamt of. The prophets, they endured suffering and they went through difficult circumstances and they only got a very small glimpse of what you and I get to hear about every week and we get to experience every week. And the angels, they'll come and they'll minister to us, but they long just to get a peek Just like an outsider to peek in and to see what God's doing. But you and I, we get to live in the middle of that. So, if you've been chosen, and you have access to information that only the prophets have had access to, and you get to see with your own eyes... The unfolding of Christ's plan of salvation in the life of billions of people on this planet and His miraculous working power. And you get to see things that angels long for and experience that. Why would you want to trade that for that nasty sin in your life? Why would you want to compromise that for that one experience? Why would you want to abandon what the opportunity God has set before you? Why would you want to get lazy in your faith? Why would you want to get stagnant why would you want to get complacent? Why? Because you have access to something great. God has given you something very, very special. You're a chosen people. You're chosen by God. He set his love upon you. I want our musicians to come forward at this time. And I you know, the readers of this book in 1 Peter, this was a great encouragement to them. It was a great encouragement to say the things the prophets foretold, the things that the angels experienced. We get to experience firsthand, and this morning we get a chance to take communion as a body. This is the first Sunday of the month. It's when we like to take corporate communion. And this is our chance to embrace the fact that we're chosen people. The thing God keeps speaking to me over and over again, this sense of entitlement that we have, that God has to save us, God has to get us in heaven, that you know we, we live for God, we are really good people. We're so special, we did it. Can I tell you that that's not the attitude God wants us to have, He wants us to be a humble people, a people that realize that without His grace, without His work, without Him reaching down and choosing us, we'd be lost and going to hell. This is a great day. You know, listen, I know that we could sit there and we could talk about how evil the world is. And it is. I mean, every year, every year gets worse. It does. But, you know, the Bible predicted that, too. It said in the last days, the evil would increase. But where sin increases, grace abounds even more. The people who know their God shall do exploits. Yeah, the world is getting worse and the world is getting more sinful and the darkness is thicker and the evil is greater. But so is the standard of the Lord. So is his people. So is the work of God rising up within us. These are great days. These are days that we've been chosen. God could have chosen us to live at any time period. He could have chosen us to live in any region of the world. But he placed you and I here and He placed us together so that we could be His people. We could be that light in the darkness. We can sit there and and God has placed us physically on the corner of this highway and this major road to say, hey, the kingdom of God doesn't just belong to the retailers and to the restaurants and to the gas stations, but there's a place of visibility. There's a strategic place. There's a corner on a major highway that God has established His people. He has chosen His people. He has set us apart for His purposes. And we are living in days that the prophets could only dream of. We can live in days that the angels long to be part of. And you and I get to be part of that. Is that not a great thing? Is that not a great thing? Would you close your eyes for a second? Close your eyes because there may be someone, and I think there is, a, that's not even right with God today. Can I tell you that God is speaking to you and saying, chosen, chosen, chosen. I've chosen you, so Quit resisting. Quit resisting. And submit your heart to me. You might not know whether after today you'd go to heaven or hell. Can I tell you that if you want to, because of his grace, his grace working on you right now is giving you the ability to choose Christ. He's given you the ability to choose Christ right now. And so you if his if he's working on you and, the, and he's pulling your heart right now, you might have resisted, resisted him, but today's your day to submit and say, Yeah, I want you God. Raise your hand right now. I'm looking all all over this building. Raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. We thank you. Thank you.